Good morning, folks. Uh, we are very sorry for the connection issues, but it looks like we've got a temporary fix, so we will move forward. Uh, good morning again. Welcome. Today we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. Moses' plea to the Egyptian king that he freed the Hebrew people is still ignored. God sends three more plagues, this time the death of the Egyptian livestock, the first plague that brings death. Then a plague of painful sores and boils, followed by hail and fire, which destroys the crops. And Pharaoh, well, he seems to repent. But does he mean it? Good morning. Today is Friday, November 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Go check them out at lhfmission.org. Well, since we've already had a, a few minutes of dead air, which we'd never like, we're going to go ahead and get right into our guests. So to help us navigate Plagues 5, 6, and 7, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning, the Reverend David Boisclare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclare, good morning. Welcome back to the program. How's life going for you? Good morning. I hope everyone can hear me. Uh, life is going very well uh, here in Missouri. Uh, of course, we're in the middle of uh, late fall, and it's quite cool down here. I imagine it's uh, cold up there in Minnesota, like it is up down here. <laughs> yeah, we we've had uh, we have a little bit of snow on the ground, not a ton, and you know we got 15 degrees, so that's that's pretty good for this time of year. We can't complain too much. So we're, I guess, uh, we're we're ready to go if if uh, if everyone can hear us, um, and uh, I've got the prayer for today. All right. Well, if you can hear me, and it sounds like you can't. Oh my goodness! But if you can hear me, let's go with that prayer. Let us pray, Lord of creation. You created everything in the universe, from the biggest star to the smallest atom. All of creation is there at your disposal. This was learned the hard way by the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt at the time of Moses. May your enemies and the enemies of your church take note that when they are against you, they have you and all of your creation against them. Defend and protect your people who believe and confess Jesus Christ, the only Savior from sin and death, and turn the hearts of all in the world to join them in that saving confession of faith. Guide us as we marvel at your wondrous works through the hands of Moses and Aaron. May they strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, before we get any further, I just want to make sure, can you hear me, Pastor Voice Player? Yeah, yes, I am able to hear you. Excellent. Good, good. Well, you know, I tell you what, so something or someone out there is wanting us to not move through with these verses. I tell you what, we are opposed by forces unseen. But we're going to do it anyway, because today is a fantastic topic. We're in the middle of the plagues where God is getting glory over the gods of Egypt, over Pharaoh. He's making his name known among the people. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just an amazing display of God's power. Uh, before, though, we read any of the text, I'd like to invite you to catch our listeners up, just in case perhaps they have not uh, been listening up to this point. Well, uh, as as we see in the in the uh, from chapter seven, verse fourteen, this is the uh, 
10 plagues that were uh, inflicted upon Egypt by the Lord because Pharaoh, of course, said he did not know the God of the Israelites, and he um, would not let his people go. And, and uh, you know, they they kind of liked uh, their, their arrangement where, where uh, the people of Israel were in forced labor or slaves. Um, but, but rather, it's interesting, since the time of the pyramids, which was uh, maybe a, th- a couple thousand years before this, uh, there was the, the people of Egypt uh, were put in forced labor to build, uh, you know, the the monuments of the pharaohs and the, and the great cities and and uh, pylons that they had, and 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 here they had, of course, uh, a ready-made uh, group of la- or, or pool of labor in in these uh, strangers in the land of Goshen. And uh, they, and they were they were of course employed in this forced labor. Well, the Lord of course said that now it is the time for His people to uh, go back to their own land that the Lord had provided for them. And uh, Pharaoh of course said, No, I'm not going to let them go. And and we see this back and forth. Uh, and and kind of what's what's um, uh, important here to see is is Pharaoh's hardened heart. Now, it's, it's rather interesting that in the course of this, uh, you, it talks about Pharaoh says of his, that he commits sin himself, of course, in resisting God. And then, of course, that's a, a, um, is something that the people of the land also feel the consequences of that. And, and as we can see, that uh, this is, is kind of what goes on right at the beginning, you know, with the plague of the blood, of the Nile turning to blood, or the frogs, or the gnats. Uh, that that there's no death. Uh, well, there's death of fish and 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 of course and the nastiness of of all of it. But now we're seeing that it kind of gets to touch the um, uh, the people and 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 they're affected by uh, this uh, judgment that God inflicts upon Egypt. Yeah, he's definitely doubling down. We have the death of the livestock. We have the boils, which I believe is the first plague that like actually affects the people in their in their health. Let's say. And then we have this hail and fire. I look forward to looking at each of those. Why don't we get the verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, which compromise the, uh, which, are, which comprise of the fifth plague. Let's get those out. Here we go. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to listen to them and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land, and the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Here we go. Thus is the fifth plague. The Egyptian livestock died. Uh, let's, let's start there, Pastor. What's going on? Well, um, in, in this case, uh, people might rationalize it and say, well, they, they had those flies, the, the plague that was uh, prior to that, dog flies or sand fleas or whatever they were. And, and, they, and you know, they say, well, maybe that was what uh, transmitted the, um, 
uh, the pestilence or the uh, disease to the cattle of the land. But as you can see, it, it, it's something which, uh, you know, is announced by the Lord through Moses and, 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 and there's a fixed time that, that is a result of it. This, this disease was like anthrax, but it wasn't considered to be anthrax, a very, very uh, horrible disease that, that the animals would suffer. And, and this is the first one that really uh, gets to them, gets into their, their property, because obviously livestock in Egypt was, was at a premium. That's, uh, that's basically uh, their wealth. There And what's interesting in verse 3 is they mention camels. And uh, some people, of course, who doubt the Bible say, well, the camel, there were, camels weren't domesticated at this time. Well, the truth of the matter is, as, as uh, archaeologists are finding, is that camels were domesticated um, a thousand years before that. Of course, uh, in, in um, the um, um, Mesopotamia in like what is now Iraq, uh, uh, but also in Egypt. And even if they didn't ride them as, um, as you know, like you would ride a horse uh, or use them for, for uh, you know, travel, uh, they would still be uh, domesticated to the point where you can uh, drink their milk and, and uh, like sheep or goats. Right, and we see that, uh, you know, even Abraham had uh, camels, sheep, oxen, male donkeys, female servants, male servants, female donkeys, and camels, as it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 16. So, you know, the biblical record shows this. You're right, critics of the Bible want to say, well, ha, there's proof that the Bible is incorrect. And yet, all the time, archaeological evidence, which we don't need for our faith, but it's often helpful sometimes to tear down those barriers as they discover more and more that, wow, I guess things were different than we have presumed for the past, you know, however many hundreds of years. But, yeah, just another example. Yeah, this would have been a huge economic impact on the Egyptians, for sure. Uh, but it was also a slight against their gods, as we've seen. God, Yahweh, the true God, is getting glory over the gods of Egypt. Uh, you know, a lot of animals were sacred to the Egyptians, but especially here... We see the uh, appearance once again of the goddess Hathor. She's the goddess of love and beauty and joy. She is uh, represented by a cow or the bull, which is represented by the god Ray, or Kanum, who is a ram god. So we see yet again not only the true god showing his power over creation, he's showing his power over the Egyptian gods, which uh, is an element that I always bring out because I just think it's fascinating. You know, these things aren't recorded in scripture for us, but as we look back, we see, yeah, wow, God really was um, dealing in places where the Hebrew, where the uh, Egyptians really thought that they had all the control, that their gods were more powerful. Yeah, it's interesting. The Egyptians even worshipped insects. The scarab was a god that the Egyptians worshipped as well. And and uh, I mean this this says something against their belief that Pharaoh was in charge of uh, nature or you know creation, um, and you know Pharaoh was the one who would put out the decree that the Nile would flood, uh, you know during during the summer months and so on, and 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 kind of the people would would see all of this going on and then they say well who's in charge here is 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 uh, Pharaoh in charge, or is are the uh, are our gods in charge of of uh, what's going on in Egypt? And 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 it was it was a tremendous uh, act of judgment. And and of course, 
you know, it, it, it's rather interesting that, you know, some might say, well, why, why didn't um, God allow it to be that Pharaoh would, uh, you know, give in earlier and let the people go? Well, because there was uh, some, some work of judgment that needed to be performed upon this land. That's the part a lot of people miss. Of course, you know, God could have just said, all right, let my people go and then soften Pharaoh's heart for that to happen. But there's, there's judgment, too. There's a message, too, also to all the, the residents of Egypt. When the people finally are delivered, spoiler alert, when they're finally delivered, some Egyptians go with them. I mean, you know, there are people there that God is making his name known to. It's not just God trying to punish the Pharaoh. God has a bigger picture in mind. Exactly, and and um, um, that you know, it's it's it, it pretty much. It, it's rather interesting when you you when you read this part of the book of Exodus. Uh, it, it might it also be helpful to read the book of Revelation because a lot of a lot of these things uh, are are sort of uh, presented in in the. Um, uh, vision of of Saint John uh, in the Book of Revelation, and and so so a key to maybe understanding Revelation, which a lot of people are interested in our day and age, is is kind of held here in um, in Exodus. Very much so, very much so. And we look here and we see God's word coming to pass too, which I think people should also be very interested in. You know, I love how it tells us that the Lord set a time in verse five, saying. Tomorrow, Yahweh will do this thing in the land. And then verse 6 is, and the next day, Yahweh did this thing. I mean, it's a very simple construction, but Moses is really uh, putting forth here that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. In this case, he kept the time that he had revealed, that is, tomorrow in their context. Some of the things in Revelation have not only passed, but the things that are to come, the, the timeline isn't revealed, but we can still be just as confident that God will do the things that he says he will do. And, and those that are not uh, sympathetic with the ways of, of our Lord, uh, they, they would say, well, uh, you know, it says later on, and of course a spoiler alert, uh, uh, that uh, God would harden Pharaoh. Uh, now, in this particular case, it shows that Pharaoh hardened himself. And, and that, of course, is a manner in which God sometimes punishes sinful humanity by um, allowing them to go their own way and to, and to be hardened against uh, the way of life. And, and, and in this case, you know, it, it, we can see that, that Pharaoh is a, a really deceitful person uh, in, in the way he uh, deals with Moses and, and with the people. And, and that's why he needs some persuading. Yeah, God lets him do exactly what his heart's intent is to do. God doesn't force anybody, including the Pharaoh, uh, to do anything against their will, even their sinful will, which is why we, as Lutherans, don't confess a you know idea of irresistible grace. That is, that God calls us to faith through the Scriptures, through the Gospel. He makes us believers by giving us faith but we can resist or reject that faith, and many, many, many people do. So when people ask things like, well, if, if, we, if faith comes from hearing and we proclaim the word, then how can people reject it? Well, that's because God allows people to harden their own hearts, which is the same as saying God hardens their hearts because he's just allowing what they already uh, have desired to do. And we see this theme as we always, 
every time we run across, you know, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, we feel like we have to explain that, yes, God is hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. It's a both and. Um, but this isn't to say that Pharaoh can't repent. In fact, as we will find out in just a little bit, Pharaoh does repent, but obviously we're going to have to take a look at that because it doesn't seem very genuine, at least in the way he responds. But, uh, yeah, we, so we have else, elsewhere in this first plague, the Egyptian livestock are dying, but we have that distinction, that beautiful distinction that God makes between the, the Egyptians and his own people. Not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, um, and, and that, that even, even more forcefully points forward to the fact that it is the hand of the God of the Israelites which is doing all of this, because there is that, uh, in this particular case, a God who, of course, proclaims to the world in his word that he is not a respecter of persons, that he, he doesn't show favoritism. Uh, in this particular case, he, he indicates, yes, I'm going to show favoritism in this case because my people are being oppressed in this manner. And, and, it, and it shows that uh, it, it kind of like is a signature as to who is the one that is involved in doing all of this. You know, let, don't don't get, be mistaken. Don't think that uh, these things are just natural; that they're just they're they're, they're occurring. And 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 and, and as um, uh, you know, the archaeology or or science says it. You know, su- such things like this were. Uh, things that could have could happen uh, in in Egypt at that time, you know. I mean, pestilence can be spread by flies and 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 mosquitoes and so on. But in this particular case, you have uh, a, a very clear marks that it is the the God of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel, Yahweh, who is uh, uh, you know doing all of these things. Well, we're going to see that in the next plague, too. You know, God can certainly use nature to bring about his His judgment, but he also doesn't have to. You know, he can do miracles outside of nature. Sometimes we have those signs, and that's something. Well, I tell you what, why don't we bring in, because this next one's pretty short. You know, the Pharaoh is not warned of this next plague. This is verses 8 through 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, and the Lord had spoken to Moses. So Pharaoh gets no advance notice. Moses just shows up with some soot in his hand. And uh, we haven't heard from the Egyptian, I mean, the Egyptian uh, magicians in a while, but we, still, we see that they're still, they've been there the whole time. But this, you know, it runs them off pretty much for good. So tell us a little bit about the boys. Yeah, the boils uh, were were some kind of like a a rash or a skin eruption, which was common among Egyptians during the uh, flooding of the Nile. Uh, that that would that would occur, where where their skin would uh, go red, and there were these uh, pustules, and 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 and, and you've. 
uh, all of us can kind of remember when we we have like um, cold sores on our mouth or 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 maybe boils that uh, you know sometimes have to we have to go to the doctor in order for those to be removed. Uh, they're very painful. They start out as as a whole a whole lump of an area of your body being in 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 great pain, and then then you have the eruptions where there's this uh, you know like blisters. That I think the word uh, can also be translated as blisters uh, that that appear on on the people and and uh, obviously God indica- was indicating that he was uh, the one behind it by uh, in directing his prophet or, or Moses to uh, uh, throw the um, soot into the air in in front of Pharaoh and 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 for this to happen this of course would be the first plague which uh, really affects uh, the uh, people of Egypt. Now it's interesting when when uh, Satan and God are are confronting each other at the time of in Job in the book of Job. Uh, you know that, that um, uh, Satan is allowed to take away a lot of uh, Job's property and his family and so on. But then 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 Satan says to God, you know, well, what if you are to allow me to afflict his body? You know, uh, skin for skin. And, and here you have a situation in which uh, the, this particular uh, plague uh, touches the people themselves. Right. Wow, yes, absolutely. And this is, this is also the first plague that affects the people in this bodily way, connecting it back to Job I had thought of. Well, we also see him getting uh, glory over the gods again. I like to bring those up. And one of, if I'm allowed to have a favorite uh, goddess or false god of the Egyptians, it would be Sekhmet which is a lion-headed goddess, and she's a warrior goddess, but she also um, is the goddess uh, has power over disease and healing. And so here we have mm. God getting, getting power over the goddess of Sekhmet. And then Sunu is the pestilence god, and uh, Isis is the uh, goddess of healing. So all of these, you know, their gods are so many and varied, and they all overlap each other. But like I said, I like to throw out a few gods that our true God is getting glory over. And uh, the magicians, they can't even call upon their gods. Once again, the, the weakness of their non-existent gods is becoming more and more evident to Pharaoh. Uh, absolutely amazing. Now, this dust that he threw in the air, though, help me understand this, right? So, you know, it was not uncommon in ancient times or even today, like in places like India, for, for curses to be attached to ashes, um, like the ashes of cow dung in India, you know, they, they might give a, a, a curse on an individual or a village by taking these ashes and throwing them at them or on them or in some symbolic way. Maybe this comes from this pagan practice of ashes and death being connected to, to, uh, to a curse. So here we have Moses following God's order to throw the dust in the air. Is it that the dust then immediately spreads all over the, all the earth, or is it very symbolic of the pestilence that God's sending on the people? I don't know if we know, but what do you think? Well, it, yeah, it says it becomes a fine dust. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the idea is here is for God to uh, get the people of Egypt to, to realize uh, that there's a problem here. You know, you know, if it was just, well, yeah, you could just uh, go along with, uh, you know, persuading Pharaoh and, and getting getting in kind of, you know, in a sense, putting pressure on him to, to uh, let the people go. But but here you have an incidence where uh, the people can see that, uh, you know, 
that 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 the the greatness of the God of Israel and 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 of course I I think that it was a was a miraculous uh, event where the 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 soot was thrown into the air and then God caused it to be a fine dust. Um, and again, it's all it, 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 it. You could rationalize it and say, yeah, that's that's what happens here in dusty Egypt. Uh, but in, in this particular case, it, it, it you know they're they're really affected to the point where they they recognize the hand of God in there. And then and it's and finally the magicians themselves say, uh, Pharaoh, let them go. Uh, Egypt is ruined. Right. I, of course, I 100 percent believe this is God's activity. Um, it's just interesting to see those connections and how we how we continue to associate some things um, even today with what was going on thousands of years ago. So I tell you what, let's take a break to contemplate everything we've discussed so far. When we come back, we're going to get into the seventh plague, which is the plague of hail and fire. Yeah, interesting. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Booth. With me today is the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri, and we're talking about Exodus chapter 9. Now, remember, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Now, Pastor Boisclair, before the break, we were talking through the Egyptian livestock death plague. We were talking through the boils and sores plague. Uh, anything else you want to cover about those before we get into the seventh plague, which is uh, a lot longer of a narrative than these others? I, I, I liked what you you said. I'm going to underline that is about how these these uh, gods of Egypt or goddesses of Egypt were were uh, those who would um, heal people of, of of things like this, and 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 it kind of like really comes out as a as quite a. Uh, 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 you know, in other words, the news that uh, no, they're not in control; they can't do anything about it, and and uh, that that that's so. It's 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 a an education for the for the people of Egypt. Um, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, said that uh, experience keeps a dear school; fools will learn and no other. And and so as you as you obviously can see here, uh, the the people uh, the pharaoh is 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 a fool because he. Uh, uh, you know he's allowing his experience to uh, to really uh, give him a good education. And isn't that the case for us today, though? You know, I, I know so many people who, because of their experience of a severe health issue, or they lose a loved one, or there's some trauma in their life, 
And it's only after these life crises that they say, you know what, I need to go back to the Lord, or they turn to the Lord. And while we're grateful that they do, we also think, did it really take you having a heart attack to realize that life was short? Or did it really take losing your loved one for you to recognize that you want to be with them forever and connect yourself back to God? You know, it's like, don't let or don't wait till God has to bring you to your lowest point before bringing you out of it. You know, turn to him early and often, as we might say. And that's uh, that's what's happening here. You know, Pharaoh's heart is hard, and God certainly could do something about it, but he's using Pharaoh's hardened heart to show and, as you said, educate the people through these acts of judgment that he's the true God and that their gods are really nothing at all. And, and, and it's what, what's wonderful is that, that God does multiple things in doing this. He rescues his people. Uh, he, and, then, and then, of course, he, he leaves uh, behind a, a, the, the awe among the Egyptians for him and, and, and that, that they were that to oppress them as something that, that is evil. It's rather interesting where, yes, uh, in the Scripture we have the recognition of slavery as, as something that was an institution of ancient times. And, um, you know, a lot of times people that uh, criticize, uh, you know, Christianity and, and saying for allowing the possibility of slavery and so on, they, they fail to see in, in Scripture where uh, slaves are, are or freed from their shackles, freed from, you know, and in this particular case, it's like that's the way in which uh, the nation of Israel is formed through their being rescued from the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, and and that God is is a God who desires people to be free, uh, but mostly free to, to know him and his salvation. Yeah, I mean, regardless of the fact that slavery, in terms of a term, is encompassing of a variety of different practices, of a variety of different heinousnesses, I suppose I could coin a term, uh, over across history, we also see that the Bible, when it talks about things like slavery, just because the Bible talks about something doesn't mean it's giving uh, permission or giving its, uh, uh, you know, its assent to this as being a God-pleasing activity. It just often describes life as it is. And in their lives, uh, certain ideas, which we could call slavery, existed, certain institutions, as they have throughout history. You know, and we take some of these servitude passages and attach them modernly to the idea of employment. And you might think, well, at least I'm not a slave, and that's true, and, and we're not trying to equate that. But at the same time, you still have a, uh, a indenture to someone else. You perform service in exchange for, for fun. And, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but you also have relationships that must be maintained in a godly way. And so we can still take the situations that existed in the past and apply them today in God-pleasing ways. I'll tell you what, let's get into the seventh plague, though, because this is verses 13 through the rest of the chapter, which is 35. It's a lot of verses. But I think to begin, we're going to go through verse 26. Here we go. And the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send uh, all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. 
so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this person, purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, which has never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. All right, they're only halfway through, but we see we can kind of see what's going to happen. God gives uh, Pharaoh a heads up, and, you know, do you either believe God's word or you don't? And and uh, you get get some of the theology and some of the some of the divine thinking that's going on here, where where it says, you know, I could have just wiped you all out, uh, you know. I mean, you know, you you need to, you know, take cognizance of who you're dealing with here. Uh, you're not you're not dealing with. Um, uh, with maybe the the uh, vagaries of nature or, or, or you know like weather or, or whatever, uh, but you're you're dealing with the the living God, and and um, as as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands uh, of the living God, and 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 you have here passages which are quoted, uh, uh, for instance, in in Romans. Uh, uh, nine through eleven, where uh, you know where, where where the apostle is speaking about you know freedom of the will, or or, or you know in other words, God uh, uh, the election of God, the election of Israel, his choice of his people, and and uh, and, and and basically you know all of the different. Uh, mysteries that concern uh, our, our life, you know, in other words, our life with God in, in history, the, the life of all of the people in the world. And, 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 there it's, and, and basically, he points out that, uh, you know, I, he, he tells Pharaoh, I raised you up so that I can show my power through you. So even, even in the, this case where you have uh, the Egyptians suffering this, this judgment of God, they're, they're actually a way in which uh, the world and in history, uh, God's actions can be revealed to, uh, the, his, uh, to the people. Well, and he says right here that he's done it so that he may proclaim his name, right? So Yahweh's telling Pharaoh that the only reason that he and his people are still alive is because of his patience. He's not yet done right teaching Pharaoh what he wants to teach him, and uh, that's that's important. And 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 uh, and that's so very important to, with the fact that uh, it, it God God could be a lot more. Um, severe in his judgment, but it is his mercy. You know, he, you know. In other words, his 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 power is tempered by his mercy. Now, of course, we we speak about the proper distinction between law and gospel. Obviously, uh, where where the law and and the uh, the punishment for sin is 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 present, that his mercy is is uh, stronger and 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 more prevalent in uh, in his actions, and and so. 
it is by an act of God's mercy that it's not worse than it is. What's really neat about this is that he not only gives them, you know, the rationale behind, which is why this particular section is kind of long, but elsewhere we don't really get insight into Yahweh's rationale, or at least Pharaoh doesn't. But here he's giving Pharaoh the rationale behind why God is doing what he's doing. Then he gives them, I guess, an opportunity. Right? This is the call to confess, the call to repent. In this case, the call to prepare. If you believe my words, then you're going to get your servants, your slaves, out of, out of the fields. They're going to be safe. You're going to get your livestock out of the fields. They're going to be safe. And you don't have to worry about my people. And then those who don't trust the words of Yahweh, they still put their faith, hope, and trust in either Pharaoh or their false gods. Well, you're going to be the recipients of what happens next. And, and, and uh, yeah, that's. I think that's very. It's rather interesting. There's. It's kind of it, the ball is 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 played into their court. Uh, that now you you got the information. Now are you going to are are you going to do due diligence? Are you going to uh, uh, you know uh, maybe see to uh, minimize your losses and, and get those animals and and those uh, slaves into the uh, into, into shelter. Uh, and, you know, and obviously, you know, they'd say, well, why? What was the purpose of the of the plague if if everybody is is kind of rescued from it? Well, guess what? Uh, the, as we will see, there's something else that goes on after this uh, plague of hail happens that that that, that the plants that the uh, crops are are affected. Yeah, let's actually see that. Then we're going to read verses 22 through the end of the chapter, which is 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such has never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sent. Yahweh is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. The flax of the barley was struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, and he sent his servants, or afraid he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Okay. Quite a mouthful, a lot of verses there, but a lot of important verses. God does, again, what he says he's going to do. 
Yeah, and it's 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 uh, really frightening because it's not ordinary hail. It's hail that uh, is also accompanied with with fire. Um, and, and, and in Revelation, of course, uh, there, there is a, an, an example of this as well. Um, and uh, so, so, I mean, when you, when, you know, a lot of times when, when people see the violence of things that happen in nature, like hurricanes or, or tornadoes or, um, you know, a thunder, thunderstorms, uh, lightning strikes, uh, you know, it, 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 um, Obviously, this this was this was an event that was that really shook Egypt to its foundations, and it wasn't like any normal storm. It says like a, it was a storm that Egypt had never seen since its founding, thousands of years before, and and um, and and so obviously, and, and it kind of elicited a, a reaction by Pharaoh that he kind of said, "Yeah, I'll let you go." You know, and, and not, no, no conditions. It seemed, you know, just stop it. Just stop all this hail. Stop, stop these storms. Well, we have this parenthetical text, and verse thirty-one in parentheses. You know, it, it mentions that the flax and the barley were struck down because, you know, they were at the time when they were still growing, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down. I guess emmer is a type of wheat. Were not struck down because they're late in coming up. So maybe the reason why we get that parenthetical statement is because Pharaoh, in the moment of fear, thinks I'm going to all, all the crops are going to be destroyed, and of course he's afraid of this mighty storm. But then when the, when everything ceases, he realizes, oh wait a minute, that's not the wheat. You know we're not going to starve to death. And, and then of course he changes his mind. In addition to the fact that his heart is hard, I'm saying from a from a practical point of view, he's probably looking out there saying, okay, good, I've gotten it stopped before it was total destruction. But, you know, it, it just, you just marvel at, at the stupidity of, of this man uh, to, to just simply uh, play along. You know, obviously he can see that, that he's dealing with a power that's greater than, than he can ever imagine, uh, and, and even in what he believes in, in, in the people of Egypt. And, and it's just, but, but, but again, God's uh, judgment is kind of tempered with mercy because uh, at, at, at that point, uh, the, um, the, the wheat and the emmer were not destroyed by, by the, uh, the hail. Um, it's interesting in verse 29, right at the end, you have a sort of a, a of a phrase that we see in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, and so again, you, you see a lot of theology uh, coming through as to uh, the fact that God is the possessor of the universe. He is the creator and he's, he's in charge. And, and that's something that comes through on this and he's demonstrating it, isn't he? Right. Well, so that you may know. So he says, I'm going to go out there. And as soon as I'm safely outside the city, then I will will send the, the, the signal for God to stop. And when God stops, you're going to know that it's Yahweh who, as you said, uh, has the earth in his possession. The earth is Yahweh's, not Osiris, not, uh, uh, you know, Sekhmed, no, not you, Pharaoh, but Yahweh, which is sort of the, the reoccurring point of all of these things, to show him that there is only one God. 
Yes, and and, um, and and like as I say, it's rather interesting that you can you can sort of see a spiritual development in Pharaoh as well. Now, of course, he it it, it probably seems that he's a hypocrite. Uh, you know, when he says that he repents, uh, you know, he, he's he, he's just he's he's just uh, very pragmatic. And, you know, if I get, get get all of this stuff to stop, you know, I, 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 it, I, I really don't believe in this God. Um, and and um, uh, so so, you know, a lot of times when dealing with people in the world, too, there there are some people that are that are sincerely repentant and, and some that um, that hypocritically uh, may may uh, you know alter their actions uh in you know because they're they don't want to they want to get rid of the punishment or maybe it's sort of like a, the 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 difference between uh what is called contrition and attrition uh contrition is is uh sorrow for uh, because uh we we recognize that we've been uh that we've sinned against god that we have offended him and attrition is only uh, that we're sorry because we don't want to go to hell or we don't want to get, uh, we don't want to have bad consequences happening to us. Right. And I've always contended that Pharaoh can or might, uh, might believe in Yahweh in terms of him being God, but just one of the very, 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 very many. He has no respect for the God who happens to be the God of a bunch of slaves. What kind of God is that? And yet when in the midst as you pointed out, in the midst of him experiencing the terror of this God, he's ready to repent, ready to do anything. But that's also how the Egyptians treated all of their gods, you know, because their gods had characteristics of, of humans. So they were manipulated, they were manipulators. You could uh, bargain with them, you could, uh, uh, you know, tempt them. And so, you know, he's just treating Yahweh as another god. Um, if, if, you know, my contention is right that he could have believed in him, but just not in the way that is true. For instance, you know, even the demons believe in God. With that said, your point is your point stands about contrition and attrition. You know, we want people to, uh, and we want ourselves to understand that when we sin, our sins are against God, and we desire to be, you know, in in fellowship with God, not just trying to avoid punishment. So uh, yeah, so I think that's I think it's a, certainly a, an important text as we look through it. Now he he does he does repent. This isn't the only time that he will repent, but I I wonder what kind of effect that had on the magicians and the people who were around Pharaoh. They might have started to see a little bit of weakness in their god king, which is going to come to play in the, the plagues to come. Exactly, and and um, and as we can see, it, it just kind of sets it up for for the um, uh, you know the final act, uh, final act in this in this drama. Uh, critics of the Bible, we point out here that the Hebrews were once again unaffected in Goshen. And critics of the Bible, we bring these up sometimes just because they're kind of silly. But I've read that the reason why uh, the location of Goshen, which is the eastern Nile Delta, uh, meteorological conditions, you see, would have prevented a severe thunderstorm from penetrating that area, and thus that's why they didn't face it. You know, it's, I bring it up just because even today, all the way down to when the, when the, the Hebrews will be taken across the, uh, the Red Sea, and people try to say, well, there must have been a sandbar or, well, there was a big hurricane that drew the water out a little bit. Everybody's trying to explain away God 
as if, A, he couldn't use natural processes if he wanted to, or B, most of these are pretty clearly um, divine, you know, divine uh, um, interventions in history. But people are always looking to try to explain away God, and yet there's so many other things that they just blanket put their faith open dressed in without, without even a second thought. It's uh, just fascinating to me. And I, so I see the attitude of Pharaoh even today. Yeah, yeah, and that's the purpose of of some for uh, some practices of science, you know, like for instance, in, in determining what what the cause of the universe is or, or why things have happened, it, it's always it's always based upon uh, a, a preliminary uh, assumption that there is no God. That in, in other words, how long would it take for the world as we know it to have evolved from by chance from uh, just uh, elements that are in the universe or whatever? I mean, it's always it's always the idea. What can we do? Uh, how far can we go with the idea that that there is no God? You know, we'll just just make that assumption. And 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 then we will try to investigate, uh, uh, you know, chemistry or or physics or any other uh, uh, things like that to determine uh, is there a possibility of there being a world as we know it without God? Right, and then they have to break out their secret weapon, which is time and chance, tons and tons and tons of time and lots of chance, which cannot be replicated or experimented upon. Makes it pretty convenient. I'll tell you what, we have just a few minutes left in the program. I'd like to give them all to you. Uh, just maybe sum up for what's going on and uh, give a final message to the people at home. Well, uh, what, what is mostly uh, wonderful here is that God loves his people. He, he identifies with them, and most especially in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who uh, took uh, our, our sin upon himself, became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. And, and here you can see, uh, in, a, in, in the same way as the time of the Exodus is sort of a... a um, points forward to the uh, uh, the salvation of the people through the uh, going through the Red Sea which was which was was the event for the Old Testament people of God uh, and then for us of course it's the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ after his crucifixion uh, because uh, this this of course is is uh, how Easter uh, what was is surrounding uh, the Passover and, and and so on the 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 Exodus from Egypt, uh, how in Christ uh, God uh, rescues us from the um, uh, the slave masters of sin, death, and the devil, and and uh, redeems us and and atones for our sins, and and uh, we like the children of Israel are are, are receive that blessing. And, and the wonderful thing is that that's, that's something that everybody can have in the world, that's, that the knowledge that this God is, is, um, is interested in saving. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And what a, what a fabulous God we have. Amen to that, 100%. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend David Boyce Clare pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Oh, it's been just a joy. And folks, thank you for joining us today. Come back Monday as we see God's judgment against Pharaoh and the gods of the Egyptians in the form of plagues 8 and 9, locusts, and then darkness. Don't miss it. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong work.